Hello and welcome to the Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Muncy. I'm really excited for today's episode because we're doing a Trapital mailbag. Trapital members, the Trapitalists, sent in a bunch of questions on a number of topics on the business of hip hop. And I selected the best ones and we're going to go through them today. So let's get right into it. The first question is from Joa from Austin. He wants to know why Tyler, the Creator's Igor can't be an album that gets nominated for the Grammys Album of the Year category and whether or not this is a reflection of Grammy voters ongoing preference for pop over non-pop genres or if this is more a reflection of Tyler's own indie slash offbeat brand and personality. The media loves him. Fans love him, but the Grammy voters seemingly don't know or understand, and that lack of understanding resulted in easily one of the best albums of the year being relegated to the rap category. (sighs) I give a sigh there because there is a flavor of this that happens every year with the Grammys. We could go back to 2018. We could go back to 2017. The same thing happens. So for context, those that don't know specifically what Joa is referring to, Tyler, the Creator was nominated for Best Rap Album, but the rappers or the hip-hop artists that got nominated for Album of the Year, which is one of the big four Grammy Awards, one of the coveted ones, was Lizzo and her album and Lil Nas X and his album. And in the Grammys' eyes, there is a difference between Lizzo and Lil Nas X versus Tyler, the creator. They view Lizzo and Lil Nas X as not necessarily superstars, but their success this year was so massive. They pretty much had the number one songs this spring and summer, respectively. Their success was so massive that it gives them the it gives them that commercial acceptance that the Grammys often want. So it's not necessarily pop, but it's just as popular as pop music. What happens with hip-hop often, though, is that the albums that are critically acclaimed but respected within hip-hop and not necessarily given that mainstream acceptance of all of pop music in that same way rarely will ever get the love. So if you can go back and look years in the past, the people that often get nominated for Grammy's album of the year that are rappers, it's your Kanye West, it's your Jay-Z with 444, it's Kendrick Lamar with To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn. It's those types of people. Those are the folks that have already been deemed as the superstars. So unfortunately, Tyler gets pushed off to the side because I think the Grammys in a lot of ways feels like they've done their due diligence with someone like Tyler because Tyler is someone that has been in the mainstream conscious now, or not the mainstream conscious, but someone that's been in the the hip-hop industry for eight or nine years, has put out a number of different types of music, and just in the past few years has done stuff that the Grammys would deem acceptable to them. And because of that, they now feel like they are giving him a token. This is a very different situation than let's say that Tyler, the creator, was a 23-year-old artist, and let's say that Flower Boy was his debut album, and let's say that Igor was his sophomore album. If that's the case, the Grammys would be viewing this a bit more like, okay, this is a rising superstar, so let's recognize him 
in that type of way. But when you are someone that lived off this indie, off of the mainstream area, and then now you're trying to get into your thing, it just doesn't necessarily have the same type of recognition with them. And with that, the Grammys often will relegate you as such. So while I'm also a fan of Tyler, the Creator's album, I don't know anyone that honestly thinks that Lil Nas X's album was better than Tyler, the Creator's album. This is what it is. It kind of is what happens. The same thing essentially happened last year where what are the albums that hip-hop loved? Hip-hop loved Pusha T's Daytona. Hip-hop loved Nipsey Hussle's Victory Lap. And this is kind of in the middle, but hip-hop and mainstream culture as well did love Travis Scott's Astroworld. But what gets nominated instead? It's Drake's Scorpion. It's Post Malone's Beer Bongs and Bentleys. I think that's the name of the album. I always forget this specific name. And it's Cardi B's Invasion of Privacy. That's what gets nominated for Album of the Year. Love those albums or not. Those are three superstars. They have the mainstream attention, and those are the folks that will get nominated. Hip-hop's critical darlings will always fall flat when it comes to Album of the Year. And even if they get to be nominated for Album of the Year, you only win if it's this like once-in-a-generation Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Hill or Outcast, the speaker box, Love Below. It just doesn't happen to the great hip hop album. It really has to be this landmark once in a lifetime type product. Our next question is from Wesley from Los Angeles. He wants to know, would it be smart for the music streaming DSPs, the digital streaming providers, to invest more into e-commerce? For example, building a proprietary ticketing solution not just integrating an existing one like Ticketmaster or having integrated merchandise sales. So he has two questions in there. So let's separate them. Let's talk about the proprietary ticketing solution first. I can't see this happening. And the primary reason I can't see this happening is because Ticketmaster is owned by Live Nation, which owns and has or has exclusive rights to operate many of the large venues that most of the artists that perform well on Spotify already perform in. So it's not necessarily this type of open competition where other ticketing services can easily compete. So even if Spotify was to use its leverage and its resources to be able to do that, it wouldn't work in the same way. I think the best that we see Spotify do is being able to refer people and have the suggestions. Okay, if you listen to this YBN Corday album, you can see when he is performing in your city and that's going to lead you to the Ticketmaster or Live Nation website to purchase those tickets. That's the closest thing that we'll see. And because Spotify deals with the largest artists, the largest artists are most likely performing in those venues. Where I do think that DSPs do have an opportunity, though, is two places. The first is a, a DSP like SoundCloud, for example, because SoundCloud is focused much more on the smaller artist, and they are mostly performing in smaller venues. And while Ticketmaster doesn't necessarily have as much exclusive control over those venues, an operator like Eventbrite is a bit more common for places like that. Looking at a solution and you are a SoundCloud, could you find a way to do some type of integrated ticketing solution there? I think that's an opportunity. A DSP a bit more tailored on that route. The second opportunity is in the regions that Live Nation just doesn't have a strong footprint. Of course, Live Nation has a much stronger footprint in the United States and in Europe. But are there other venues and other opportunities that are currently overlooked? perhaps venues in Africa 
or venues in other parts of the world, East Asia, what have you, I think those are much more interesting opportunities. And if there was going to be a ticketing solution, it would be focused there. The second question he asked was around merchandise sales. I think this would be a smart opportunity for a number of the DSPs to do. In some ways, we already see this happening now with YouTube, where if you look at one of your favorite YouTube artist videos, you can see the merchandise the, the merchandise that is available pop up under their video. You can quickly go there, purchase it, and you can do that integrated through the API. I don't, however, think that this is something I could see Spotify doing because this is the type of thing that enables or requires them to give up a bit more control than they otherwise would. I could see, once again, I could see a SoundCloud or one of those doing it because it adds a little bit more to that interactive aspect of being able to sell merchandise. You could see which ones are popular. You could have different people vote and like different merchandise on the platform on SoundCloud, the same way you can see people like tracks and you can have users interact with each other. So while I think that Spotify or even Apple Music would probably be a bit more reticent to do something like that, I think that SoundCloud and some of the other more flexible DSPs could make a play in that area. Next question. Michael from Lagos, Nigeria, wants to know my thoughts on Western-centric awards shows, including the latest, the Spotify Awards. Though Spotify does have a wealth of data, plus a foothold in developed markets, Spotify does not work in all countries. Also, if metrics are based on plays, listens, then majors can literally pay to ensure their artists win. Overall, do people feel it's generally a step in the right direction forward? I agree with Michael that this is a step in the right direction, but there is still a lot that's left to be desired, both within the music that comes out of the United States and what Spotify focuses on, but also outside of that too. Let's start with inside the United States. Spotify's data is heavily favored, not even heavily, it's overly reliant on everything that comes from Spotify. If you look at the top streaming U.S. artists, even within hip-hop, it looks completely different on SoundCloud. So, for instance, Lil Tecca had broken Post Malone's record with Ransom for 86 straight days as a number one stream song on the platform. Ransom did not rank anywhere near that high on Spotify or like wasn't as prominently placed on Rap Caviar as some of the other songs that were often on the service. So even within that, all the data that Spotify may have isn't necessarily capturing the full music slate because you look at just how different the profile is. The type of person that listens and subscribes to Tidal is a very different type of person than subscribes to Apple Music, and that isn't necessarily going to be recognized. So all that data is great, but I think it almost as a bit of hubris to assume that Spotify would have the best understanding of what the landscape is just because they are the largest player. They may have the most relative, but the field in general still may have a better and not even should, does have a better understanding. It's no different than Netflix thinking that it can make all the decisions based on what subscribers may want, but not having any of the type of data that HBO might have in the video streaming side of things. But when we look at things outside of the United States, it's even more drastic. And I think this reinforces the point that Michael was bringing up. 
Spotify is strongest in the countries where it can charge $9.99 a month or higher. That is the United States. That is many parts of Europe. But in a lot of the countries that it either hasn't gotten that foothold in or is still struggling to sell $2, $3 subscriptions a month for its service, it just doesn't have as strong of a connection. Of course, things are heavily geared towards the Mexico City market where they do have a lot of subscribers there. And that is a big step in itself to not just be focused on US-centric music, but there's a whole world out there. So I think what this could come down to is you look at an artist like Ozuna or a Bad Bunny, people that are very strong artists in the Latin American hip hop community, whoever is that equally strong person in Afrobeats, whether that is a Davido or a Wizkid, they may not necessarily get that same type of level of recognition on Spotify just because the foothold hasn't been there as strong. And I think that's something for us to keep in mind when we look and see who ends up winning these Spotify awards in March. Next question. Owen from Boston wants to know my predictions on hot new artists to pay attention to with the most runway for business stardom. Is there anything new artists are doing that that mimic what the great stars are doing or something different that makes them unique? This is a great question, and I want to break it up in a couple of ways. I usually not a fan of the 30 under 30 or 40 under 40 lists, but I do think that a micro version of this is helpful just to push this conversation forward. So I did a two under 20 and I did a three under 30. The two under 20 are Enelie Chapa and Lil Tecca. They both have similar steps that they've taken to where they are now in the music industry as teenagers. And I think it's very fascinating to watch. Enelie Chapa was famously offered several record label deals earlier in 2019. The labels ensued in a bidding war, and ultimately, he went with Steve Stout's United Masters, which is the distribution service where artists can stay independent, get their music distributed through United Masters, and benefit from the marketing and other type of branding support they have in exchange for 10% of the top-line revenue that comes in from the music streaming. And Ali Chapa did that for several months. He was able to get off several remixes of Shot of Flow, and he was able to do his promo runs, get known as the guy that turned down the record label deals, which of course gets eyes on you, and was able to use that push to then several months later get a bigger deal that he wouldn't have gotten back during the bidding label wars. He agreed to a joint venture with Warner Records to start his own JV under the record label and push things there. So if you think about this, this is a six, this is, well, now he turned 17, but he made these deals and did all this while he was 16 years old. He already has people in the industry that have been through the ranks, understand multiple sides of this. They are both in there. They're both there and supporting him with this. So even as he continues to develop his understanding and trade-offs for what matters most to him as he's likely rising through the ranks and figuring things out himself. I think he's in great position and I think he has smart people around him that are doing the same type of thing. Because remember, it wasn't that long ago, 20 years ago, this was the type of landmark deal that Suge Knight had created with Death Row Records. This is the type of deal that 
Master P was able to do with No Limit Records. And this is the type of deal that Cash Money was able to do with Universal with that Birdman was able to orchestrate. These were landmark deals at the time that people weren't used to rappers being able to have the leverage to pull off. And now these are commonplace in hip hop for the fact that a 16 year old is doing this. That is impressive, and if he keeps this up, he keeps the people around him, I think he should be in a strong position to do a number of things moving forward. I think the same can be said about Lil Tecca as well. He, in many ways, went through the same steps, but for him, it wasn't United Masters, it was SoundCloud. And for him, it wasn't the JV with Warner Records. It was the deal with Republic Records, which is the home to Drake, the home to Post Malone, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, and most of the superstars in the music industry right now. So those are our two under 20, NLE Choppa and Lil Tecca. For the three under 20, for the three under 30, it's Young Thug, Russ, and Meg The Stallion. So let's break down each of those. I selected Young Thug because I think that what he's been able to do from a fashion perspective has been very impressive. He's established himself as a fashion icon and has partnerships with several of the high fashion luxury brands in Europe. People often ask, okay, who's the next person now that Rihanna is doing her thing and I will tell people, do not sleep on Young Thug and what he's doing. Because even from a music perspective, who would have thought that the guy that put out I'm a Stoner or the guy that was known as the mumble rapper after Lifestyle has consistently built his following, has records like the Barter Six that people still revere. And I think he's shown that he can succeed in a number of different areas there. Second person I mentioned was Russ. I think that Russ angers a lot of people. He can frustrate people because he's obnoxious. And I think that white privilege also plays a factor in Russ's success. I do think, though, that Russ has not only used those things, but also used his own success and his own rise as an independent artist and the message of that to brand himself to make it successful. He just put out that book, It's All in Your Head, which is essentially a book version of what he's been saying in all these interviews. In a lot of ways, Russ has become the Gary V of hip hop. Because what does Gary V do? Gary V repeats a lot of the same points about how you have to inspire and how you have to motivate yourself. And he goes back to the same talking points. Gary V, of course, is obnoxious, but I think that's why people both love him and hate him. And Russ is the type of rapper, honestly, this is the guy that's going to get hit up by Dreamforce to go speak in front of all these tech CEOs and go inspire them and tell them it's all in their head. And like it or not, there is a big market for the motivational speakers and those folks that can brand themselves well. And I think Russell would be in a position to do that. And I, the third person here is Meg the Stallion. I pick her because I think that she has done a number of things well. She understands how to market her brand every week, every other week. You see a Meg the Stallion video pop up with her and another celebrity, her doing some type of collaboration. So she finds a way to stay relevant even when she isn't releasing new music or isn't putting out a new product. And that's a very hard thing to do. The interesting thing about her, though, is that she's able to diversify a lot of this because she right now is doing all of this while in school. She's finishing up her degree 
in healthcare administration so that she can open up assisted living facilities in Texas. This is something that is close to her. This is a personal project. Obviously, she has people in her family that have gone through these facilities. She lost her mom, unfortunately, earlier this year. And the fact that she has and will have business interests diversified outside of the entertainment space, which is something that not a lot of artists actually have. When you think about most of the business opportunities artists have, so many of them are focused in entertainment. So the fact that Meg will have this type of setup outside of entertainment speaks a lot. And the fact that she can continue to do this, balance all these chips, stay true to herself. And she has 300 entertainment on the label side. She has Rock Nation on the management side supporting her and a number of informal relationships like her mentor-re-mentor relationship with Q-Tip and others. I think she'll be in a good spot to continue benefiting from this moving forward. Next question is from Fred from L.A. He asked, should rappers unionize? This is a question that has ebb and flowed in popularity for the past few years, but it started to come up a bit more frequently. We started to hear a lot of buzz about this in 2017. There was a little bit of buzz before that, even outside of hip-hop. I think Lady Gaga had said something at one of these award shows about the fact that artists didn't necessarily have a union But let's first break this down. This ultimately is geared towards artists that are in record label deals. And they're wanting to have protection either, A, from a deal that may have bad terms that they want to at least have checks and balances with so they don't sign those deals to begin with, or B, not feeling like those deals are being fulfilled whether they're not being paid or those things necessarily happening. And the goal would be for a union to be able to support these things. The good thing is that there actually are unions that labels do pay into. There's the SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. So record labels, the major ones, do pay into this, and artists do have the ability to leverage them. But there clearly is an awareness and utilization gap if the biggest artists in the world are questioning and pushing it forward that they don't necessarily have this as a resource and that rappers themselves are thinking about forming a type of coalition amongst them. And there's been a number of people that have been doing work over the years to help educate and inform artists about what they need, because I do think that is half of the battle and half of the challenge that comes with this. But when the problems actually do come, how do you support one another? I think the tough thing is that There's no one that may necessarily step up and want to bring all of the big name artists together to come in on something because they're, even though they may be friends, even though they may be buddies, there just isn't that level of wanting to like do something that is that taxing or that much of a commitment beyond because of how it may position you. So, for instance, there was a conversation that Joe Budden had. I think this was back when he was doing Everyday Struggle, but he had a sit-down conversation with 2 Chains, and he had brought up this topic of the union. And, you know, Joe's like, hey, 2 Chains, you would be a good person to lead this union. And I actually do agree. I think 2 Chains would be fantastic at something like this. But what were 2 Chains' first couple of questions? He was like, is this something you get paid for? And he didn't necessarily feel like he was the best person to be positioned to do this. And I think that is a legitimate concern that a lot of people probably would have. 
Joe Budden was also referencing, oh, you could be our Derek Fisher, you could be our Chris Paul, and of course referencing the fact that both Fisher and Paul were the leaders for the NBA Players Union and were instrumental during some of the lockout eras. The NBA is very different from hip-hop in that everyone is consolidated under the same league in basketball and music, while they do have the sag after it, it's not necessarily the same because it's not like every artist is signed to Universal and therefore Universal has a union that everyone is then bought into. And I do think that there's actually a bit of a perception issue. Chris Paul is someone that a lot of people in the NBA have very strong polarizing opinions about. And if you listen to some of the criticisms, a lot of people feel like Chris Paul carries himself as a politician, and he always thought that he was above a lot of the players. But if you are the NBA Players Association lead, you kind of have to be that person. That's not a surprise, and I just don't know if a lot of players would want to be able to push that forward. The good thing now is that we do at least have enough information out there being spread to inform artists about what they need, but I just don't see the the type of union that artists are pushing for to ever happen. Fred asked a second question, and I normally don't do second questions, but this is a good one. He asked, will rappers, besides Kanye, eclipse basketball players as better shoe endorsers moving forward? Let's separate this for a second. Because I don't necessarily look at it as a collective of rappers or a collective of basketball players. Because the short answer is that, yes, I think that rappers outside of Kanye can have sneakers that are just as popular or even more popular than NBA players. But it's much more about who the person is than than their line of work. Because right now, people are following the brands of the people they identify. I mean, I brought up a joke about Gary Vee earlier. Gary Vee just launched his own sneaker. He is as much of a personality and a brand as these artists and these rappers are. So is there enough there that people are flocking to? It's important to think about what works with Yeezy and why Yeezy is blown up. Yeezy sneakers are in many many ways tailored for the fashion sense that is very popular right now. But most basketball players outside of the legacy Jordan sneakers that we see out, people don't just casually walk down the street wearing LeBrons and Kyrie's and Durant's the same way that people wore Iversons in the early 2000s. You just don't see it nearly as often. People still do. Before people at me and say, oh, well, you know, people wear Durant's and wherever, people still do, but it's not to the same level. For a sneaker to truly break through in that way, it has to be able to hit whatever the current fashion trend is. And a lot of basketball sneakers right now don't do that, but the legacy Jordans do and Yeezy still does. And sometimes these things just catch fire and they work, but more often and not, they don't. So with this context, it's important to think about why both S-Dots and the G-Unit sneakers were popular in the early 2000s, and that's because people did wear the basketball sneakers out as part of the fashion and the culture, so those were logical extensions to go to. So now, honestly, whether it is Young Thug or it's Damian Lillard, well, he's probably not the best example because he's both rapper and basketball player, but whether it is Young Thug or it's Paul George, if they put out a sneaker and they're able to market it in a way that feels on brand that looks authentic i think it can work so i think we'll continue to see more of that and i think that rappers outside of kanye can continue to eclipse basketball players i also do think that eventually 
will see a basketball player that's not named Jordan be able to have a longstanding sneaker that does become popular in the lifestyle sense the same way that Jordan's legacy sneakers do. Our last question is from Matt from Boston. He asked, why is the perspective of Trapital important and what is driving it for me? He assumes it isn't just an industry thing. And he's absolutely right. To tell this, let's go back when I first started getting into hip hop and I found myself intrigued by a lot of what was happening from a business perspective and seeing what was happening when I first started to get a bit more ingrained in the culture, seeing what bad boy did and how Diddy was going to navigate bad boy after Biggie died was very interesting to me. I think in some ways, very interesting to a lot of the people that were early Apple fanboys and were very intrigued about what Steve Jobs' return to the company was going to be like when he had came back after launching Next. Those are the things that had stuck out to me. But growing up, obviously, you heard much more about Jobs and his legacy and what he was doing. But with Diddy, it was much more of the the salacious details and some of the factual things that were happening. And there wasn't as much about the business aspect. Growing up, we saw a few more examples of this. Like if we fast forward, I remember when I was in business school, I saw the case study that came out about Beyonce and everyone had ranted and raved about that in a great way. I thought that the fact that we're celebrating this also highlights how rare it is. But there wasn't a, there still wasn't a publication that was created to highlight this in that same way and bring that to light. So when I had started writing purely as a hobby, but then that turned into freelance and that turned into the idea to Trapital, I knew that there was an opportunity there. And I think based on the feedback and the reception and my own confidence in the work that I was doing, I felt fortunate enough to be like, okay, I think I can be this person. Let me continue to push this forward. And see where it can go and see where I could build this company. I had sat in on a few different keynote speeches from other people that were entrepreneurs and built things and found myself inspired by some of their messages. I've heard Tristan Walker speak at least a few different times. One of his things he had mentioned when he was talking about building Walker and Company is that he had paused and say, okay, what can I be the best in the world at doing? And he was going through all the things and the concept to start Walker and Company is what he felt that he was in the best position to be able to do. And that's where he ended up doing that. And I started to challenge myself in that same way. And even though I had a job that was good and was living comfortably doing that, I knew that there was an opportunity to start this and truly build it, make it something special and see where it can go. I've been fortunate that I've been able to build Drapital to the point that it's been still less than a year of me working on this full-time, giving it my 100% dedication, and it's been great to meet and connect with, in many ways, the exact target audience that I wanted to push this, and I'm excited to continue pushing it and seeing where it can go. So I'm thankful to everyone that has listened. Um, most importantly, thankful to the folks that are paid members who have been able to support Trapital, and and I want to continue doing this. And I'm and I'm especially thankful for the Trapital members that have bought subscriptions that have made this possible and made this podcast possible because these are questions directly from the people that have these subscriptions. So thank you for that. I believe in this. I'm happy to continue pushing it forward. 
and I hope you enjoy the rest of this Thanksgiving week and the holiday, the time off you have for those of you that are in the U.S. and celebrating the holiday. I'll be taking next week off from the podcast, and then I'll be back in December. So if you enjoyed this podcast, as I always say, please tell one friend about this podcast. Tell them to listen, to subscribe. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. Second, go to the Trapital website. If you haven't already, that's Trapital.co, T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L.co. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll start getting the content. You'll start getting the free weekly article that I put out. And let's continue building this thing and seeing where it can grow. Thank you all. And I'll see you next month in December. Take care.